Welcome back to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show, and this week I'm speaking with Heinz Bauman, who when his children were young set off south from San Francisco to cruise in Mexico aboard his Hallberg Rossi 38, and then more recently he completed the Pack Cup in the same boat. But on his return, instead of bashing his way back to California, he decided he'd head north to Alaska, and he started a company called Swiss Adventures and is running charter trips aboard the vessel, taking passengers all the way from Seward, Alaska, out to Dutch Harbor in the Aleutian Islands. Now, this week's show is hosted by Svensson's Marine Spring Fling Boat Show. It's coming up soon on April 15th and 16th in Alameda. And this year's show is going to be a big one with lots of exhibitors, food, and great seminars. There'll be a raffle giveaways all day long and special deals on boating and sailing gear. I'm planning on being there on the 15th in the morning, so I hope to see you there. You can get your free tickets and claim a show swag bag at springflingboatshow.com. That's springflingboatshow.com. I hope to see you there. Also a reminder that you can help keep Out the Gate afloat by becoming a Patreon patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can become part of the crew and get special benefits like additional content and out-the-gate swag. And for those of you who have already joined, a big thank you. And know that I am getting the very first batch of out-the-gate shirts printed up and they will be on their way to you soon. A special shout out to Kenneth Passery who joined the out-the-gate crew last week. Thank you very much, Ken. And for those of you who haven't joined, if you enjoy the show, consider heading over to patreon.com slash out the gate and supporting what I do. This podcast is a labor of love, but it does take time and money to produce. So I really appreciate all the support. Okay. And now on to our interview with Heinz. Okay, my name is Heinz Baumann. I was born and, and grew, up, grew up in uh, Switzerland, and I moved to the United States uh, in 1996. I'm an adamant sailor. I sailed in Switzerland. I sailed in Europe and a lot of different places, uh, Mediterranean, um, North Sea, Baltic Sea, Atlantic. Uh, I did an Atlantic crossing on um, steel Yawl, uh, that was built 1936, wow. kind of a classic yacht. What size? 16 meters. Okay. And it was really great. It was a, the, and, and interesting, the boat has an interesting story because the boat actually participated in the very first uh, Whitbread uh, around the world race. Wow. They were kind of still on the second leg when the first boat was about to finish. <laughs> <laughs> but they did it, right? Not it a speed demon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk to you, Heinz, because we have a lot of different connections. We've kind of been circling each other for a while. We, we both worked at Autodesk. Um, we've sailed together, actually, on Green Buffalo with um, Jim Quanti, who's been, been on the show, and uh, raced together, I should say. And... Um, we both have Hallberg Rossies, so um, I'm excited to hear. So tell me about how you first started sailing. Was it a childhood thing? 
So I started actually, I started sailing when I was 22. Okay. And it happened because I moved uh, due to work from uh, kind of a, a town that was on a lake in Basel to Neuchâtel, which actually has, uh, from a town that has a river to a town that actually has a lake okay. in Neuchâtel. And I, every day going to work, I walked by the harbor and by the sailboats. <laughs> and I said, I need to go and try this out. So I went uh, down to the sailing school. That that's all Had you did. had any connection before to that? Or is it just seeing the boat just, and the romantic? Just seeing that. I said, I need to try this out. Yeah. And then uh, I went on... Um, yeah, I took, took the classes there to get my, my um, certificate so I can sail on, on lakes in Switzerland. And it uh, was not even done. Uh, you know, s- suddenly start sailing and then the kind of the word goes around that you're leaving a little early because you go sailing. People come and ask you because there are other people that actually have boats or they're sailing. There was one co-worker. Uh, he was a, a sailor and he sailed on the ocean. He said, oh, you need to come out in the ocean. Uh. And he explained how to do this. And then, uh, you know, at uh, that time, my girlfriend and I signed up and we went out uh, for for a trip in the ocean and we really loved it. And um, uh, what what surprised you as being different sailing in the ocean? You had just done lake sailing at that point. Yes. Yes. So what the, do you remember? About yeah. That so first the trip? biggest difference is right on the on the lakes in the middle of in, in mid Europe, uh, you typically have very light air. And, you know, we had a mountainside, so typically in summer, the, the, there was light there. And then in the, towards the evening, you get a lot of termigrind, and it goes from maybe uh, force 2, which is maybe 5 to 10 knots. It goes up to 40, 50 knots yeah. in seconds sometimes. Uh, <gasps> you have to watch what's happening above the, above the mountain. And that's a typical sailing in, in lakes. And, 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 and the boats, and also the race boat we had there, was kind of a little over rigged that because of the light air you typically have that you can actually still move. Yeah. And there you're obviously on the lake, you don't it's in the small lakes there in the in the mountain in the in the Swiss mountains, you don't have a lot of waves. So when you go out on the ocean, there's quite a lot of things that are different. There are tides, there are waves, uh, there are weather patterns you have to watch out for and all that. Um but it was kind of the being out on the water and then getting out away from land and just seeing the horizon is water and, and sky that kind of made, yes, this is really cool. And it's kind of, it's the last freedom that you almost have. The other freedom yeah. you have, especially for me coming from Switzerland, is you go mountaineering, you go out the mountains. I did this too and it was really great. Uh, but then my passion became sailing because this is kind of the freedom. You can do what you want and you can go where you want. And um yeah, it was kind of, that's what I want to do. And it's I, interesting that you mentioned <laughs> that because um, my wife is very into being in the mountains, mountaineering, and that's her freedom, and that's her happy place. And there is a very, I, I f- it's a similar freedom, a similar sense of being out there, right? You can, it's unexplored space, and yeah. yeah. So there is a connection. Yes. There. I did a whole podcast after we came back from a long hike comparing the cruising, the sailing, the ocean sailing to the mountaineering. Yeah. So, um, so that 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 grabbed you, and so how did you then pursue ocean sailing? So uh, we we were fortunate that in in Switzerland there is a, a cruising club. Uh, they own their own boats. At that time when we started, the boats were all Halbergrossis. Mm. And they had them in different places in, in, in Europe. And the place to actually get the Swiss uh, offshore 
uh, pleasure yacht certificate was through them. Hmm. And so we did the, you know, the required sailing. You need to be um, thousand nautical miles on the water. And they cannot be in, there needs to be at least two different two week um, uh, cruises. You cannot do it all in once and you cannot do an ocean crossing. T that doesn't count because it, the key is to learn harbor maneuvers and stuff. So there's key requirements they have to do. There's That's a lot of on the water, obviously a lot of also learning the the theory like you do here when you do like an ASA or, or um, uh, US sailing class. And um yeah, learning how to do this, you know, charting and all the stuff. And you're in the waters that have lots of tides. So we were in, when I did it, it was the, 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 the trainings were all uh, along the German coast on the, um, around uh, Bremerhaven and, and um, uh, Helgoland, where you have a lot of tides up to 10 meters up and down wow. in a day. Uh, they moved it to even a more challenging area, which is in France around Cherbourg. There is then not only tidal up, there's also lots of current going oh in and gosh. out. <laughs> uh, it's really challenging, and, but it's really good to learn to really do the calculations and know when you need to leave and where you need to be at a certain point. Yeah. And it's very interesting too. We did one, one um, cruise where we went from uh, Amsterdam over to um, Southampton. And uh, we crossed over and stopped on the Isle of uh, Guernsey, which is the middle of the British Channel. And when you arrive there, in low tide, you actually see a wall. The harbor is behind the wall. I have to wait till the water is up. So the wall we saw was probably about four meters high. And then when the high tide was up, you know, the, more, the, the boat has about two, you know, it's about two meters. There was at least six meter water of more over it so you can get in. <laughs> and wow. then on the, when you're inside, the tide slow, goes down and you're just barely <laughs> moving in the harbor and the water's all out, right? <laughs> so there's no cut in the wall. You just wait for the tide to yes. go up over it. Yes. That's it's wow. A, it's an amazing thing. When you have, they have buoys outside. You put this, you attach yourself to the buoy and wait until you can get in and they, they come out and they tell you or call you on the radio now you can come in we have that much water over the bar you can come and then just the boats and then depending on the on the draft you have you have to wait to get in uh, it was quite an, a, an amazing and uh, experience to do that that's and it's really crazy how this goes up and down yeah. in that area yeah so then so you were actually um so you did the training on those Hallberg rossi fleets um, and then once you got that certificate, did you, how did you continue with your sailing? So we did a couple other cruises with the cruising club mm -hmm. and they actually wanted to do, to have me do, uh, the next level, which is a skipper. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I moved to the U S okay. I also did, uh, the Atlantic crossing after I had my certificate, yeah. um, on that, uh, Peter von Sestermühe. And then we came here to also the US. Also on an HR? No, that was that uh, that uh, steeler. Oh, the uh, steel you mentioned. Yes, right. Um, right, right. Sorry, that was yes. the name of that boat. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, then I came to the US, right? And then mm -hmm. I kind of stopped. What year was that? In 1996. To San Francisco or somewhere To San else? Francisco. Okay. And then, you know, I was kind of, I need a boat because I didn't bring my boat and I kind of, I need a boat. Did you start sailing here immediately? 
Pretty much, yes. I just looked around and asked around. I, you know, another good fortune I had was at Autodesk, where I, you know, was transferred from Europe here. Yeah. Uh, there was a person, Stuart Felker, and he was on the Young America America's Cup team. Ah. And he worked there, and I went over to him to so ask around. Oh, you ask Stuart. He can tell you. I asked the Stuart. <laughs> oh, do you grab Latitude 38? You will find plenty of people looking for crew. And, you know, you just come along. Come and meet me at 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 uh, Sir Francis Yacht Club tomorrow evening. There is a beer can. You can just jump on a boat. And I got to know the people. And then there was obviously the, uh, Latitude 38 has a crew list. Yep. And then so we arrived in October. Was a little bit sailing here and there on, on during the winter. But then for the season, I kind of signed up on the crew list. And I put a little bit of my experience on it. And I got tons of calls from yeah. people. And then I ended up sailing with a very dear, became a very dear friend of mine, uh, Bill O'Connor, uh, on his call at 29, uh, and did many seasons with him, and we won championships twice or three times, and uh, we were also in the, you know, competing with us in another boat called Serendipity, where there were kind of two boats to beat. Another Cal 29? Yes. Okay. Well, we had actually a one design fleet at that time. Ah. It was really cool. <clears throat> Until it, you know, the, the fleet fell. There's an older boat and the fleet fell apart. And then yeah. Yeah, I yeah. jumped to bigger boats. I did, uh, raced on uh, J120 for the Big Boat Series. I was on a, on a Cherokee, I think 40, also for the Big Boat Series. Then at Autodesk, one day, Jim Quancy come over and said, I heard you're a sailor. Yes. And I heard you did a lot of offshores. Yes. Want to come racing? So, yeah, sure. So I went racing on Green Buffalo and uh, did probably the last 12 or 14 years on Green Buffalo on the Fordick and also winning a lot of racing yes. with him. And story, then, you know, I got, uh, you know, kind of eyed some other stuff outside here. There was an opportunity that I saw in Switzerland with a Swiss team, uh, the Swiss Racing Sailors. I, I saw you wearing the sweatshirt right yes, now, yeah. And first I went with the cruising club, Switzerland, on a race, the Middle Sea race in the Mediterranean at the 600 nautical miles, starting in Malta, going up to Sicily, around Stromboli, and then back down to Lampedusa and back to Malta. Well, non-stop. Is non-stop, yeah, yes. Yeah. And I did this once, and I got to know the president of the Swiss uh, racing sailors, and he said, you should come race with us offshore because we do this too and i did afterwards an other middle sea race tell me what the swiss racing sailors are is it a, a team yes yeah, so this is a, a a sailing team okay uh they're focusing uh mainly on smaller boats so they have two teams on j70s very successful they actually have vice european championship and swiss championship wins and they're sailing all over europe they were just last weekend in croatia on a j70 event and came in second yeah there's a kind of the core teams there on the j70s we did had dolphins before i think the boat is still there but it's no longer actively raced and then we have another they have an offshore branch that okay. they that the, the the president Thierry wants to ha you know wants to keep going and then uh, he found me and I'm interested in this and I'm help getting this organized that we do racing so we we did uh, Fastnet in in England we are sure. going to do Caribbean 600 next February that's going to be on big boats so this is going to be on a the Fastnet was a JPK 11.5 I think that's a French build race boat okay and the uh, Caribbean 600 is going to be on an Elan 450. Two questions come to mind first I want to ask since you've done so much racing 
here in San Francisco and also in Europe, what are the differences that you see? There's a, quite a few differences. There's, there's um, the racing here because we have very unique conditions in San Francisco Bay and also outside San Francisco Bay with the typical uh, summer breeze, you know, the 20 knots plus. In Europe, you, don't tip, you sometimes you don't have that. So you develop quite a better go-to-action momentum in the teams here because things need to go fast Yeah. because there's a lot more wind. It's not forgiving if you do a mistake. And in Europe, you know, if you have light air, you can, it's not a problem. You can have a mistake. So in Europe, you have a mix, right? In the big racing, like the Rolex racing, that uh, the races that did, you have companies that charter out the boats and they get guests come. You get boats. We had in, in one of the Middle Sea races, the, our neighbor was a British boat that was a charter. There were two professional captains and the rest of the crew, some of them were never on a boat. Hmm. And they do this. This is just, you know, there's some... Yeah, this is just what you can do. You, you, know, you don't hear this here, right, to do. The other thing is you have very competitive sailors, right? And the other two boats down from us, there was in the, in the same class that we were racing, and we, we are kind of an amateur team. There was actually uh, two guys from the Team Prada on that boat. Wow. So you get the whole spectrum, right? But it's great because the cool thing is this party, you, they are just people like you and me, you know, you can actually talk to everybody, which is really great. So it's a little different. You have very competitive boats, fully crewed pro boats that uh, there was this American black boat, which I can't remember the name, something with black. And this is, you know, you watch them do maneuvers. It's just this huge, you know, 50 or 60 foot boat just turned in, you know, 10 seconds and all the sails trimmed in and everything because these are all, that's what they do all day yeah. and all their lives, right? You have everything in these races. You don't have that here in the typical, you know, offshore race. You don't have any pro crews coming out. The yeah. bigger ones you may have, like you have this when you do the big boat series. You can have that in, the, in some of the fleets. But typically here, these are all amateurs doing the racing here. I think the difference is the, 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 the skill set of the amateurs is different, which I found that here, the people are way more knowledgeable on the racing. They know to move fast and to do things, where in Europe, they know may all the stuff and the theory, but when it comes to racing, they, you know, have to kind of, because they're cruisers, most of them. They right? haven't had the opportunity to yes. really put it into practice. Yes, that's yeah. what's missing there. Do you remember your first impressions of when you got an opportunity to sail on the bay when you moved here? And Yeah, I can tell you my first impression because it's stuck forever. It's kind of, oh my God, this is totally different. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'm good. I'm not good. <laughs> I need to up my game here. Yeah, <laughs> it was totally different, you know, the, with the, the the wind coming to the, the in the summer, getting uh, blowing through the Golden Gate with you know twenty twenty five knots. It's kind of and constantly kind of wow. I'm not. I wasn't used to that, right? Yeah, that was kind of the thing. Was going, oh my god. <laughs> I understood the guy that I got to know that lived here and came back to Switzerland and why he never went out sailing if there was just a little breeze and we all went out because right. he was used to this. And he said, you're going to be have a blast over here. And I said, yes, I did. The beginning was kind of, oh my God. But then it was kind of, it was really cool. And once you get into it, it's great. And now you, you know, I'm, I'm racing everywhere. It's kind of people say, oh, you, you know, we need to get Heinz on that boat, right? <laughs> You get known. Yeah. I relate to that a lot, which is one of the reasons I started this podcast because I moved here from the East Coast. And I was like, wow, this is different. I need to learn about this. I need to talk to people who know this world because it's something completely new. Yeah. One of the reasons we're talking is because I was speaking to a colleague that we have mutual 
colleague that we have from from Autodesk, and she mentioned that you had started a charter company. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. We're gonna, uh, I need to talk to Heinz about this. So Swiss Adventure, is it tied to Swiss Racing School Sailing? No. Okay. It's just Swiss. It's just the name because I'm Swiss. Because you're Swiss. Yeah, 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 yes. Um, but it's based here. Yes. Okay. Tell us about it and tell us why you started it. Let me start off when I started it. Mm -hmm. It was in, um, I think, 2015 when I kind of had the idea. You know, I have all my skills and whatever and how somehow I should probably just pass that info, you know, have people to come out and learn from what I do. Yeah. I was thinking about this and then one morning I have an email in my inbox from a German company that uh, was called Rent-A-Guide. There was actually, you know, their idea was to have tour guides everywhere in the world and you can go on online and, and, and book them and they can do this and it's very affordable. They were looking for people with boats. Then I sent back an email, said, yeah, do I have a boat here? And I could do that, you know, and, and now actually we're thinking about this. Oh, yeah, that would be great. And I signed up and kind of just see what happens. And I got some people signing up to come out. And I did this for the first few years exclusively through them in Germany. I got a lot of Germans who came here visiting. Uh, most of them were kind of either he or both were sailors or she was a sailor and he not. And they were just kind of the opportunity before they head either back or the beginning to actually go out on the bay because typically you are at the shore and looking right. at the boats and kind of, I want to do that, right? And so I took them out uh, and uh, for kind of a very small fee, they loved it, right? And then I continued kind of developing this. And then for many years, I just did that because I was still full-time working. And then came the discussion about me doing the Pacific Cup which we did last year. Okay, when we're in Hawaii, what are we going to do with the boat? And then I talked to my son, and then we decided, oh, we could do this. I mean, how about we go to Alaska? And I said, oh, this would be cool, right? Another crossing on the ocean, right? Okay. And then I talked to my crew, and one of the crew wanted to also to come along to Alaska. Okay, uh, we can we do that. And then I decided, okay, when we do this, so what are we going to do when the boat is in Alaska? And again, well, the first of all, what I'm going to do work-wise, right? And then they decided, okay, I think I've worked enough in corporate world. I probably want to do a little more what I want to do. I kind of made the decision early last year that I'm going to not just be off for three months, but I quit the job. And then we kind of developed further and further that I kind of, let's start, you know, let's get this company that I have on the side really building out you know with a cool nice web page blog posts and everything and i talked around some people and i got some good encouragement from 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 friends including bill o'connor who's now 84 saying you should do this now otherwise you're 70 and you still haven't done it do it now it's not a problem and in your field you can always go back right if you want to so okay I do it right so i i quit and i decided i'll just do this and see how it works out uh, we started then doing the way on the boat, develop a little bit the plan. And then I have my oldest son doing the web page for me, built this out. And now we kind of established a company, an LLC, uh, around all this. Yeah, I have charter up in, in Alaska. People interested. They so come you're charter. offering charters into, from here to Alaska or in Alaska? In Alaska. In Alaska. So Where the, the boat, boat is, is in Alaska yes. right now. Yes. And so how long are the, uh, the charters usually? 
So the charter is either one week or two weeks, okay. and the boat is basically on the move. So we're we're sailing from Seward, uh, Alaska, out to uh, Resurrection Bay, over to Kodiak Island, and then from Kodiak we go Aleutian Islands all the way to Dutch Harbor. Oh, wow. And depending on the on the legs, right, from yeah. Seward to Kodiak is a week, approximately. Dutch Harbor is a two-week leg. Yeah. Dutch Harbor back to Kodiak is a two-week leg. Uh, so it really depends on the legs. It's going to be the one week or two weeks. And then when we're back in Seward, the boat comes then down here to San Francisco. So then we go down to um, Prince William Sound and then inside passage to Vancouver and uh, Victoria. And then from Victoria, we do a nonstop down here oh, to cool. San Francisco. Oh, man. I want to sign up right now. <laughs> if other people want to find out more, what's the website? SwissAdventures.com. SwissAdventures.com. And yeah, you find everything on the web page. How many people do you usually take aboard for a passage? We take three people. If there's family, we can take four. The uh -huh. back, uh, the aft berth has a, a double bunk and a single bunk. And so if there will be a couple, they can use the double bunk. And yeah. if they have a kid, they can have the kid next door, next to them. Uh, otherwise, it's going to be the single bunk, one on the single, one on the double, and then one in the in the, ma in the main cabin, and I'm in the main cabin as well. You're so there'll be four cabin. total. So it's a small group, um, and the... The idea is this is an active adventure, so people will actually be put to work on all the duties on board when we're on the way. They can sail, they can steer, they can trim. Cooking is part of the duties, making sure the boat is clean, whatever. Everything is part of, of this. And, and with this, the prices are quite of, of, of reasonable. And you use the V-Birth for storage? <coughs> the V-Birth is storage, yes. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. on long passages, you can't sleep in the V-Birth. It's too yeah, rocky. Exactly. And I have all the sails there and more and now more material all in the V-Birth. Oh, that's so cool. I'm very familiar with the boat because I have a 35-foot uh, a Halberg Rossi and yours is a 38, correct? Yes. Yeah. And what year is it? Mine is 85. Oh, okay. Yeah. Same year. Same yeah. year. So they might have been side by side in the... Yeah, factory. Yeah, mine was the last in the last batch they built 38 before they did the 38 too. Okay. What's the name of your boat? And uh, the boat name is Ragebogen, which is Swiss uh, German for rainbow. Oh, Ragebogen. Right. Okay. I remember seeing a picture of Ragebogen in latitude 38, and HRs are not that common <laughs> here in the Bay Area. <laughs> and uh, I reached out to because I think I, I think I reached out to Jim and I said, "Do you know who or somebody's?" told me it was you yeah. who had this. I said, oh, got to find him. How did you come across a Hallberg Rossi? How did you find the Ragabogen? As I mentioned, right, I, I was sailing in Europe on Hallberg Rossi's. And yeah. when I decided I want a boat for um, ocean cruising and ocean going, I said, you know, it's going to be Hallberg Rossi because I, I was in all the boats, but I think nothing beats Hallberg Rossi from the construction, how it's built out. Uh, the quality they have and everything and uh, and uh, the service they also have. You can get parts for my boat, which is built in 85. You just call up Halver Grossi in Sweden. Somehow there is a locker. I was actually on the wharf once and they actually have this corner where they have a locker with all the leftover parts. And sometimes there's an email saying, hey, we have the leftover piece for this. There's a last one that we have. Anybody interested to have it <laughs> before we, you know, go. So, and typically somebody picks it up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's really cool, right? So, and I was looking for this. I looked actually all over the world when I was look ready for to buy a boat. And um, that was in, in uh, starting 98. I started looking around and I had, you know, 
I probably knew everything on the market in the world, at least as good as you can get it at that time through internet and through the broker up in, in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I continued looking and then I saw this boat here actually in the bay. The first time I saw the boat was when the, the boat I raised, the Carl 29, was in South Beach Harbor and there was a Halberg Rossi berth and I walked once over and it was kind of, at that time it looked quite beaten up. Mm -hmm. And I looked at this and then one of my, the bodies that were on the boat who came along with me looking at the boat, he said, you just go ask the harbor master uh, who that boat is and maybe you can call him and the owner and see whether the guy's interested to sell it. Said, yeah, maybe I do, but I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then a little later, I saw an ad in Latitude 38 that there is a Holberg Rossi 38 for sale. It was at the broker stock. I went to the broker and it was the same boat, but ah. it was 18 months later and changed owners in between. Mm -hmm. Retrofitted and everything. It looks really, would look very beautiful. And I kind of looked at this and, you know, I, as I said, you know, I kind of researched and I knew where everything is and the kind of, you know, the price is too high because I can get uh, a 39 in Europe for less plus transport over here. Oh, wow. So I told the guy, yeah, it's too expensive. No going to buy body right now. It's, you know, you should look at the international market and see what they are, right? Mm -hmm. How they, what they go for. And so I didn't buy it at that time. And I keep kind of, okay, we just, there's going to be, I always, my, my, my view is always, if it, something doesn't work out, there's always a better opportunity right. later, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I was just waiting. And then, you know, I, I saw this advertised month after month after month in larger 38 and they were same price same price. and then suddenly it was gone like, oh maybe now it's gone and then about a, f uh, a few months later which was in 2001 in um, i think it was in january i saw a small little ad halberg rossi 38 directly from the owner and it was two-thirds of the price that the broker had <laughs> and i called up I ask him uh, where the boat is. Oh, it's in Alameda in my dock, and you can come over. So I went over looking at this, and I kind of thought about it, and I asked a little bit of the boat, and it was the same boat. And it's kind of, okay, I'll just bring my checkbook with me. And I went there, looked at this, and it's like, oh, I think I looked at this before. Uh, you had it out for on, on the brokerage here in, in Alameda. I said, yes, I did. Okay. And then I asked him why he's selling it quite a little bit less. And he said, well, because he wants to sell it because he you know from well, for health reasons he can actually no longer sell it but he's looking for somebody who really can take care of it and he's a good owner so i tell him my story that i'm used to these type of boats or whatever and he kind of uh, his eyes opened and i looked around and said okay i don't really need to look much because i've seen it before i just put 50 percent already down right you can get a check right away and it's kind of okay so i bought the boat in 2001 we kind of looked at what all needs to have be done on it. We started yeah. sailing on it, uh, trimming, um, you know, um, plan out a cruise down to Mexico, which we did in 2002, Cabo, and then into the Sea of Cortez. The kids at that time were two and four. Oh, okay. I need to ask you about this. <laughs> and it was really awesome. And the, kid had, the kids had a blast. We had a blast. It was really great. You take, the, you know, yeah, you do family cruise. It's a little different than, than what I do today, but right. it's kind of, yeah. We came all the way back with the boat. We sailed it all the way back up the coast in December. And then we did here cruising. And then I was thinking, you know, we want to cut the lines at one point and go for good, right? And just opportunity didn't happen. You know, life happens, as you probably yeah, know. And, yeah. you know, career picks, kicks off and you're busy and kids grow up, they school and all the stuff. And, yeah, it took then until uh, 2018 where we decided 
Jamin talked me into, you should really do the packup. <laughs> and then I decided, okay, I do this. And we wanted to do this in uh, 2020, but then we couldn't because of COVID. COVID yeah. And then we did it 2022. And then we kind of, yeah, that's where we're here. And now the boat is... So did you do another refit before a pack cup? So we did quite a little bit of work before. And actually, I have to say, I'm actually thankful it was actually delayed two years because mm. I, you know, there was quite a few other things that I did in between. You know, what between. were the big things? The first thing we did was looking at the sail inventory, what we need to have. So we had to, you know, upgrade uh, the spinnakers, the spinnaker gear we had to upgrade. We had the rigging all checked. So the roller furler was replaced the shrouds were double checked and replaced uh, so that's all so the rigging is all solid mm -hmm. and that's the work that i have done by rigging shops and i'm just curious and this is getting into the weeds because we have very similar boats but do you have original chain plates i have the original chain plates okay on it. Yeah. so so interestingly right the and, and I, I i mentioned this when we did some presentations about the pacific Cup back in europe in in november Packup has an amazing resource of information on their webpage that's really good for everybody who wants to do a long distance uh, passage. Even if somebody decides going down the coast, it's worthwhile to go through that material. That's great to know. Uh, and check what they have because there's a lot of good tips, especially around boat preparation. And you really need to turn basically everything around. First of all, everything needs to come out of the boat at one point. So it's yeah. all empty. Yeah. And then you need to check everything. And it's, it's you know, the chain plates down below, they're good. It's and good. then electronic needs to be double-checked and upgraded. Yeah. So, you know, AIS installed. Um, uh, we have a new board computer. Uh, we have software. Uh, we're using a French product, Adrena, for our routing and navigation. Yeah. And that's connected to, then I've kind of connected this to the board computer. Given that I'm an electronic engineer, it's kind of, I just do these things, but it all works perfectly. Oh, and I have old system and new system together and everything works nicely together. Yeah. And then other things are, yeah, we just mentioned it, the, the water maker. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the engine, you need to make sure it's serviced and, yeah. and good. Uh, that's, you want to do that with a, prof by a professional. And um, then the rudder post, uh, the, that needs to be looked at. Uh, is it the bearings all still good? Mm -hmm. Depending on the mechanics you have on the rudder, you know, the wires, are they good or they're kind of on the last leg? Uh, there's a lot of things you have to inspect and check. A lot of things you can, I, well, I, I think I can do myself. If you have a boat long enough, you can do it yourself. But if people are not comfortable, it's really worth to get a, a surveyor to do that because it's worth having this and not being, you go out and two days later, something breaks that a surveyor would have to be able to, yeah. to find. Yeah. Tell us about your pack cup experience. What was the race like? Uh, the race was very interesting given that we started in a high-pressure system in Norway and it was kind of oh unusual gosh. unusual for, for San Francisco Bay, right? So we started in maybe 10 knots and as we got out the gate, there was maybe five knots left. <laughs> gosh. And that stayed for the first two and a half days. It was kind of very slow going and That's frustrating. frustrating, yeah. Uh, which everybody who did it uh, last year probably tells you the same, who started in the same fleet that, you know, the first... You know, two days you made it, you know, 60, 100 miles good towards target. You moved away with the current down the coast, but it didn't go towards Hawaii much, <laughs> which is very frustrating. Afterwards, it was, you know, wind kicked in. It was really good and really smooth rocking basically over there. And then we did hit, uh, so we got no wind to start. And then we got then kind of um, the tail end of a tropical 
depression system that moved a little further south of Hawaii through and that developed huge waves and lots of wind and the trade winds. Sounds like you had a range. So, but that was really good. I mean, we'd be moving, but there was, you know, what it was, um, it needed a lot of attention by the helmsman because there was big waves and you have to really steer them well. Were you downwind at this point? Yeah, it was downwind. Yeah, that can be nerve wracking. So, you had to be very careful of what you do, but it was really great. The crew was amazing that we had. But I imagine the boat tracks pretty well down the waves. Yes. Yeah, this is one of the things where I kind of was that I, I have to say, you know, I rather on my boat. Even we are not the fastest and on one of the race boats because it was still kind of comfortable. Yeah, it was rocking, but not like you know. Yeah, it, but it's it's kind of that's where I think this is why Halberg Rossi's builds the boat the way they built them. They're yeah. built for conditions that are a little rougher, and it was really you know good. And uh, yeah, the crew was amazing. Everybody was chiming in everywhere, and that's kind of also my philosophy when I do racing on my boat. Um, there's not like these are the dedicated people, which I heard from some people in some boats. There is only the pro steers, and everybody steers, everybody does everything. I had one of the crew interested, actually a young woman interested in how to f- change filters and how to repairs. So she was crawling in the in the engine That's compartment. Great. That's so good. And uh, I think this is kind of everybody does everything. How many people did you have aboard? Uh, we were four total. Okay. That's a nice uh, number. It's a nice number. People kind of say first kind of some of the cruising, wow, there's going to be a lot of work, but it's really not. You know, yes, you, you need to work because it's not like a cruise. It's a race. You really need to focus all the yeah. time. The watch schedule we had worked out pretty well. So it was um, six hours during the day and always two people together. And then during the night, uh, four hours four or four on. And that meant that everybody got enough rest uh, every 48 hours. And, um, yeah, they kind of liked the way we had set it up, um, including my son, who first said we should have a different schedule, but I then mm-hmm. realized this was actually way better. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. He came around. Yes. <laughs> you don't want mutiny halfway across. <laughs> <laughs> and were you pleased with how you did, how the boat did? Yes, actually, we were very pleased. We were at one point, we were actually uh, in, 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 I think, third place. We had a problem with one of the crew in the big waves, got a little afraid of it. And so we had to kind of adjust to this. So we had to kind of slow down, basically. You know, we gave up on on, on two spots. But I think I was concerned with my boat in that fleet with the Carl 40s. And, and then Jim said, no, you can, you know, yes, they are kind of good, but you have so much good skills, you'll be able to actually live up to them which i think we saw we can do that's great and which is really great and that's something that's really encouraging we had yesterday was a was a um a town hall meeting for the pack up and there was somebody asking about cruising boats and i had to tell them don't worry about it because uh every boat has material on on it because everybody needs it uh, so it's kind of not like you're going to be obviously you will on the cruise boat you will not be able to score in the overall score right every boat is designed including the material and the people. Right. So you should not worry when you have that. Now, extra stuff you may want to not do. So if you, if, if like, if you, like we did, we continued cruising, we did have a container. We put everything in the container. So everything was shipped for us. And we picked it up in Hawaii and put it on the boat afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about what were the highlights from sailing south with your family to Mexico, because that is... Uh, well, on my radar and coming up hopefully soon for us. 
I think the some of the highlights are really with is, is the kids because they kind of are just easy on everything. At least they when they're that young. I think when they're kind of in getting eight and older, they're kind of more already a little cautious. But if they're two and four, yes, they can, you know, sometimes because you can't really pay attention to them, they're kind of not happy. But otherwise, they're happy campers and you involve them, right? They were helping baking. They were helping, um, you know, cooking. They made create, they created their own little kitchen in, in one of the berths uh, for <laughs> them. It was kind of the, the kids were kind of the highlights. Now, wh what was your setup living-wise on the boat? Were the kids in the V-birth? No, we actually had everybody in the aft-birth. Oh, wow. Uh, it's in the I guess the kids were small. Yeah, so they're small. Yeah. And so we slept in the aft-birth and uh, the kids. So there was this double bed that we have. Uh, my wife and the kids were on the big one, and I was on the small one. Okay. And sometimes one of the kids was on the small one, and we decided to do everything in the back because you're right on top. If there's yeah. anything that needs to happen, you just knock at the side, and they will wake up right you're right under the cockpit and you can yes yes, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. if you bang your foot <laughs> on the fiberglass there they get up <laughs> <laughs> it's where they have their head they will not like it but if something really needs to happen and somebody needs everybody needs to come up or whatever that's and that way you have it uh, also with the kids if they're down below you have them while they're sleeping you have the kind of under control if you need to be up on deck and there's yeah. a big yeah. hatch we have and you can actually look down if need be and all the kids putting up their heads up in the morning hello <laughs> i love it i love it yeah it was really cool the thing we invested in which is kind of really cool with a, you know i recommend all everybody with small children to do we had a net around the uh, lifelines mm, mm -hmm. all the way around and I think it saved at least a little one, at least two or three times because they just sleep. You know, they the thing is they have their life vests on and it doesn't really hurt when they fall, but they slid down and then you have the net that held him. Otherwise they would go in between. So it was really cool to have that. And they're really it's really it's it's worth investment. It looks a little ugly, but we had it on for quite some time and then I think just before pack up when we had to replace the actual uh, lifeline, uh, I took it off. What happened we talked about that you'd like to mention? Well, we went from Hawaii then up to uh, Kodiak uh, right. nonstop. So that's another 16 days. And we had amazingly good conditions. So the pack-up, they have a, a check-in system. There's somebody ashore and you send an email. These days it's an email and they send an email down. Later in the afternoon, everybody's two cents they have about where they are, what they do, whatever, live on, uh, life on board. And so it was decided we do the same thing on the back because there were a lot of people going back to San Francisco at the same time. I said, well, we sign up for this. So we go Kodiak, we go north, and there's some people going to Seattle. So when we signed off just before Kodiak, we, hear some, we got some feedback. I do this next time too because people going to San Francisco are still not in San Francisco <laughs> because of the bad, of the strong weather in the, in the, in the trade winds. There was very strong weather, and there was... It was, unfort you know, it was unfortunate for those going back to San Francisco directly from San Francisco, so that, that, that north, e east, northeast oh, direction. They were just into it. They just, yeah, where I had a nice beam reach, <laughs> almost. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a much more pleasant way to, to make it a big loop, go up yes. and then come back down around if you yeah. have the time. Yeah. Do you have spots still available for this upcoming season in Alaska? Yes, there are uh, a few uh, places still available. The first few things are all are, are booked out. The first things in, C in Seward are booked out, and then the Aleutian Islands is, is full. 
And then I have a filmmaker that's not quite decided yet when he's coming, but there's going to be for two weeks where we have a film crew on board. Oh, great. That will be then booked out probably from Seward down into um, Prince William Sound, but I still have room from Prelim from uh, Valdez down to uh, any of the lakes down to Victoria. Well, check out your website if people want to sign up. And what an adventure. Oh, gorgeous place to cruise. I haven't done it yet, but I can't wait. Yep. Hans, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure talking to you, and I'm excited to catch up again and hear how, hear how the business is going. Cool. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's show. You can sign up to sail in Alaska with Heinz aboard Ragabogen. Visit SwissAdventures.com. I am your host, Ben Shaw. Thank you, as always, for listening. You can reach me on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing or email me at OutTheGateSailing at gmail.com. Don't be shy. Reach out. Tell me what you like and don't like about the show. I love hearing from listeners. Until next time, smooth sailing.